Awesome. Well, we are going to dig into a text this morning that is one of my favorite texts at Christmas time in John chapter 1. And so if you would, would you turn with me to John chapter 1, uh, beginning in verse number 14. Uh, John chapter 1, beginning in verse 14. And if you would, would you stand with me across the room as we're going to read our text together this morning. If you're a guest here this morning, you're like, why are we standing? Uh, this is just our tradition. There's nothing sacred about standing. If you don't do it, that's fine. But this is what we do as a church to say, God, we honor your word far above my words and what I have to say, all right? Today, we just have one verse that we're going to look at together. John chapter 1, verse 14 says this. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Father, we thank you today for your word. Lord, I pray today for fresh revelation of the Christmas story, fresh revelation of what this really means to us. Would we have revelation of Christ today in our hearts? Not just head knowledge of him, but revelation in our hearts of who you really are. God, that we would live differently. and We would respond and relate to you differently, we pray. In Jesus' name, everybody said, you can be seated. Uh, question, how many of you have presents hiding in your house somewhere right now? How many have presents hiding in your house? How many of you have found a present hiding in your house yet? Anybody going to be, nobody wants it? A couple of you admit it, that's fine, okay? A couple of you admit that. We have a problem in our house. It's called online shopping. You know what I'm talking about, right? Because stuff shows up and everybody, like, when presents are, like, start ripping things up, like, whoa, whoa, don't open it, right? I've had to threaten my wife, do not open things when they show up at the house because i got to have time to hide it, right? Because we hide things we don't want people to find. This happened a couple years ago. Um, early in our marriage, Amber and I, about two years into marriage, we bought our first house. We thought it was so exciting. This was great. And, uh, and we thought this was going to be an amazing time. But unfortunately, about a year and a half into living in that house, we had a house fire. And we lost everything. And at that time, we didn't know what we were going to do. And this couple at the church who we had a relationship with, but honestly, we weren't that close with them, they graciously opened their home and let us live with them for like six months. It was amazing. Right now, they're like family to us because we built that kind of relationship. It was amazing. amazing. Okay. In that in time, you know about me. I, I love sweets. You know this about me. I love sweets. Uh, the Christmas is a great season. Lots of sweets. Okay. I love sweets. Okay. The, the guy that we moved in, it was Gordy and Cindy are their names, and, and Gordy loves sweets as well. But Cindy was one of those wives, and maybe you're some of those. Cindy is one of those wives that always like to put Gordy on a diet. Any of you relate to that a little bit, right? Constantly putting her husband on a diet. So I felt like it was my duty as, as the guy living, in, I'm living in their house, to sneak sweets to Gordy. That was what I did. So I would be like, Gordy, come downstairs. I got ice cream, you know, and he would sneak down. Oh, and I was like, feed Gordy some ice cream or treats, whatever. He loved it. He thought it was amazing. So one day I get some brownies given to me and, and, and this amazing pan of brownies. I'm like, great, Gordy, come downstairs. So I'm feeding Gordy the brownie. Cindy finds out, Okay. So the next day, I go to get the brownies. I'm like, Gordy, come, let's have some brownies. I can't find the brownies anywhere. I search the house. The pan is gone. I don't know what happened to the pan. I'm asking around. Nobody says anything. Nobody's willing to acknowledge anything. It's just gone. I don't know this. Nobody talks about it ever again. 
Three months later, I'm looking for something in their kitchen, and I go to the, the cabinet above the refrigerator. And how many know the cabinet above the refrigerator? There's never anything meaningful up there, right? But I'm just looking. I go up there. What do I find? A rock-solid pan of brownies sitting at the top of the thing. I go to Cindy. Cindy, what did you do? She's like, I didn't want Gordy to have more brownies. I'm sorry. I hid it. I didn't want him to find it because that's what we do. We hide things we don't want people to find. It's more than just brownies and presents that we do this with. A couple of weeks ago, if you were here, I, I talked about the story of Adam and Eve, and I talked about how Adam and Eve, they were rebellious, right? They turn from God. They do their own thing, right? And their immediate response is to do what? Hide. Hide. They avoid God. And it's the same thing we do in our lives, right? When, when something goes wrong, when something goes sideways in your life, maybe you make a mistake or maybe you're embarrassed by something, what happens? We tend to hide. We don't want people to know about it. We avoid it. You'll see it happen with kids, right? When you get a two, three, four-year-old that does something they know they shouldn't or something's gone sideways, where do you find them? Hiding. They don't want anybody to know about it. And you know what? We do the same thing with God in our own lives. When things don't go the way we want, or we're frustrated, something is off in life, we avoid God. When we fail, right, we make mistakes, we walk through difficulties, and sometimes it's not even difficulties that we created, but when we walk through difficulties that can oftentimes leave us feeling shame in our lives, the result is we will avoid and hide from God rather than walking toward Him. But have you ever asked yourself, why did Adam and Eve hide? Really? See, I think fundamentally the reason that they hid was because they didn't really know who God was or what he was like. They didn't really know what he was like. Because if you read the story, right, when, when God actually encounters Adam and Eve, oh, was there consequence for their sin? Absolutely. But you know what there was also? A promise of redemption. Was there consequences? Absolutely. But what did he do? He ended up clothing Adam and Eve himself. The God of creation sewed up an outfit for them. Like that's what God is really like. And see, so often in our lives, we can have skewed views of what God is like, and it impacts us. And so this morning, I want to actually start with our big so what. We don't ordinarily start with that, but we're going to start with our big so what and let that kind of walk through the text all right, and the big so what this morning is this thought. How we view God determines how we relate to God. How you view God determines how you relate to God. Now, I would ask this question. How do you view God? What's your, when you think about God, what comes to your mind? I bet that each of us have a different perspective. We have a different understanding of what God is like. Many of us, if we are honest, many of us, if not all of us in some way can have a corrupt view of what God is like. A lot of us, we view God through the lens of our own fathers, right? Like you, we say, God's our father, and for some of you, are like, that's horrible because my dad was awful. <laughs> so you, like whatever your father was like, if you, have a, you had a really strong, loving, compassionate father, then maybe you can have a healthy view of God. But if you had a, God, a father that was not like that, a lot of times that's the way that we can view God. And how many know that impacts the way you relate to him, okay? 
But it's not just that. Maybe it's, it's other leaders or authorities that you've had in your life. You've had some good authorities, or maybe you've had some really bad, toxic authorities in your life. Maybe there's been spiritual leaders in your life that have been toxic, and as a result, it shades the way that you view God. And you begin to relate that you think God is like that person, and it gives you this corrupt understanding, and naturally, you're gonna relate to God in a different way because of that. But it isn't just that. Sometimes we have this religious baggage that we come along with. Okay? Because some of you in this church were raised in churches or in traditions where God was like God with a bat, God with a lightning bolt, ready to strike you and smite you anytime you make any mistake. And how many of you know that's going to transform the way that you relate to God? But in the same sense, there's some of you that were raised in churches where it was just the ushy-gushy God and he was like the benevolent grandfather that just is handing out suckers to everybody, just like whatever, it's okay, do whatever you want. How many of you know that will impact the way that you relate with God? Every single one of us, even your circumstances, because some of you have had circumstances in life that were really good, and so that shades the way you view God. Or some of you, you've walked through really, really hard stuff. You've walked through sincere pain, through really, really unimaginable, difficult circumstances in your life. And how many of you know when that happens, it's very easy to allow that to interpret and shade the way that you view God. Every one of us can, can get into this place. But this really matters because how we view God determines how we relate to him. When things get difficult, right, when things go sideways, we want to hide and avoid God just like Adam and Eve do. If we don't have a proper view of God, we will have an improper relationship with God. And so this morning what I want to do is I want to take our eyes to this passage and this verse that we just read. Because I think as we get some fresh revelation of what God is like, then it can impact the way that we relate to him. If you go to the beginning of, of John chapter one, one of the most beautiful passages begins, in the beginning was the word. And it's this description of what Jesus is like, but it's not describing the baby Jesus. That's not really what's talking here. He's talking about the eternal Christ, the eternal son of God. He is the word. He is eternal. He is the light. He is the life. When you read through this, it's just this beautiful picture of Christ, the almighty Christ being revealed here on earth. It's all these powerful images. And then you get to the verse that we just read. And what does it say? The word became flesh. The word became flesh. And when you read this, what is the word? Who is the word? It's Christ. It's the Messiah. Throughout the passage, that's what he's making very, very clear. It's the eternal son of God, the one through whom all things were created, the one with all power and authority, the one who is seated at the right hand of the Father, the one who one day is going to return victorious king over all creation. The word became flesh. I don't think there is a greater distance in all of the universe than that statement. The word, the God of all creation, became flesh. The all-powerful creator God incarnate is a baby, divinity dependent on a mother to feed him, bathe him, change him. Can you think of a bigger distance in all of the universe than that? Like, it's mind-boggling. 
It's crazy. It's beyond comprehension. And if we ever question what God is like, if we ever question what is he really like, how does he really relate to us, we have to be reminded the word became flesh. The word became flesh. If we ever question the love of God, all we have to do is remind ourselves that the word became flesh. If we ever wonder if God cares for me, does he see me? Does he care about me at all? All we have to do is remember the word became flesh. Is he compassionate? Does he actually want to have compassion on me? The word became flesh. That nest to get dug deep inside of our soul to remember the gravity of God's love, the gravity of what he did on our behalf. And if we ever question, does God really know the pain I'm going through? He doesn't get it. He doesn't know what I'm walking through. He doesn't know the hard things I'm facing. He doesn't know the things that keep me up. He doesn't know those things. He hasn't experienced that. If we ever question that, then we have to be reminded the word became flesh. And then he allowed that flesh to be crucified on a cross on our behalf. That's who he is. Our God is not a God who is distant. Our God is not a God who who says, oh, you figure it out. You know, you guys figure it out. I know he's, he came. The word became flesh. He understands. When you walk through pain, he understands. He was the one who was betrayed by the person working closest with him. He was the one who felt the pain, physical pain that's unimaginable. He experienced the emotional pain that caused him to sweat blood. If there's a pain you face, you can understand that there is a God who understands. The word became flesh. I think a revelation of this, a reminder of this reality has to affect how we relate to him. He is not a distant God. But we go on the passage, it says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Uh, have you ever read the Old Testament and been like, I have no idea what that just said? Did that ever happen to you before? Okay. You know, you know what I'm talking about. Like, we all have that moment where we read it like, I don't know what's going on. I don't understand what the name, I don't even know how to pronounce the name, let alone what does that name actually mean. Uh, but there is a principle and there is a, there's a, a thing that goes on in the Old Testament called the tabernacle. Have you ever heard of the tabernacle? Raise your hand if you ever heard the tabernacle, okay? A lot of you heard the tabernacle, okay? Uh, there's another phrase, the tent of meeting sometimes is referred to as the tabernacle. Among other things in the Old Testament, this is the place where God's presence dwelt, okay? And if you're familiar with it, God gave all these instructions about the tabernacle, okay? How, how it was to be built, its size, what it was to be made of. There was all these details about how to construct the actual thing, but there were also details about how you were supposed to set the camp up with the tabernacle. Now, when we think about, you know, a, a church building, oftentimes it feels like over there. So when we naturally think about the tabernacle, we think, oh, the tabernacle, this place over there that we would go to every once in a while, okay? I think it's easy to think that. So we, oh, we got a tabernacle. Okay, the community sets up camp, and then there's this tabernacle, and that's the special place that you would go to. God's presence is there, and right, it's over there. Except that's not how God told us to set up the tabernacle. In the Old Testament, what did they say? No, you set up the tabernacle right in the middle. And all the tribes were, were given an alignment about how they were set up directly around this tabernacle, directly around his presence. Now, why? Why would God tell his people to do this? Well, 
It was meant to be a visual reminder of the nearness and the presence of God in their lives. That he wasn't a God that's distant. He's not a God that's off somewhere else. This is supposed to be that special thing that's, that's disconnected from your life. No, he was trying to show you, no, no, I should be the center of everything. I'm meant to be the, the focal point in everything. I'm here in the midst of whatever is going on. I am the middle of this thing. But if you read something in the Old Testament, you understand that the Israelites were an utter train wreck most of the time, weren't they? Like you think about it, the Israelites so constantly went against what God's ways were. They were a train wreck. I saw this quote a couple of weeks ago, and I want to pull this quote up here. It says this, at least I'm a fun hot mess, like a train wreck filled with pizza, fireworks, and glitter, right? <laughs> Some of you can relate to that. Like, like that's how my life feels sometimes, right? It can be like that on occasion. Right? And this is, this is what the Israelites were like. Right? They messed up over and over again. They weren't deserving of God's presence, and yet he chose to have proximity to his people, to be right in the middle of their lives. That's what the tabernacle was. Now, some of you are asking, Greg, why in the world are you giving me this little Bible lesson on the tabernacle? I don't know, it makes no connection to the text at all. There's a reason. When you go to the original Greek of this verse, John 1:14, you know what it actually says? That word dwelling, the word became flesh, made his dwelling. This word dwelling literally means tabernacle. What does that mean? That picture, the middle of your world, the middle of my world, God literally set up camp to be with us. The God of the universe set up camp with us to demonstrate his love for us. To reveal something of the character of God. In those moments when you feel disconnect, those moments when you feel like, I, I don't know where else to turn, guess what? The God of the universe set up camp in your world. Why does it say, in Matthew, he shall be called Emmanuel, God, God with us. And I think a revelation of this in our hearts again, this Christmas season, a revelation in our personal lives, because some of you are walking through really, really hard stuff right now. A revelation of who God is, that's what he's like. When you know he's that kind of a God, it will change the way that you relate to him. I was confronted with this a few years ago in a bad way that gave me some personal revel revelation. Um, my son, Levi, was five or six at the time. And we were part of this little program where they were learning how to do woodsy things, outdoorsy things, you know, and learn how to use a pocket knife. How many ever learned to use a pocket knife when you were a kid? Ever doing that? Okay, some of you. All right, if you've ever learned how to use a pocket knife when you were a kid, and, and don't worry, I was a good father. There was lots of rules. You know, I'm not just giving my child sharp weapons all the time. But we're practicing. He learned all the rules, knew what to do. There's all these rules about what you're supposed to do, how you open a knife, how you pass a knife to somebody else. When you're whittling, you know, you always cut away from yourself, never cut toward yourself. All these rules of what you do, okay? So he and I were sitting out. He's like, Dad, I want to I cut a stick. I'm like, Great, here we go. We're going to go do some well. We sit out on the steps. We're doing this for a second. He knows exactly what to do. And uh, it took one second for him to do the one thing he knew he wasn't supposed to do because it was one little thing on the stick. He flipped the knife the opposite way 
and he went right on his thumb. And he cut it really bad. But what was hard was what came out of his mouth. So first words out of his mouth, he grabbed his hand. Daddy, I'm so sorry. I know the rules. I broke the rules. I'm sorry, Dad. And as a dad, it broke my heart when he said that. Why? I don't give a flip about the rule. I love my son. The rule was protective to my son. You get what I'm saying? Like, my son didn't know me in that moment. He didn't understand that that I wasn't consumed with let's follow rules. I was consumed with, no, I love you. Let's set some guardrails to protect you from doing what you just did. So in that moment, I put the knife down, whatever, we protect him, we, we wrap it, we take care of all those kind of things. And I held him, I said, buddy, you just gotta know that the rules are not the point. The rules are what protect you. I love you. I love it. Like, I care about you. And when that happened, and as I thought about that moment, I just thought, how many times do I react to God unaware of who he really is? Thinking, oh, he cares about this. Let's make sure I follow every rule and do everything right. When in reality, he's like, no, I'm your father. I love you. I care for you. Would you just relate to me? Would you come to me? Whatever you do. Even when you mess up, would you run to me? When you make the mistake, would you still run to me? Knowing that I care about you. That's who I am. The word became flesh to be near to you. I pursue you, right? Could we have a revelation of that again? Of who our God is. He is holy. He is just. He is perfect in every way. And he is the God who lays himself down for our benefit. The word became flesh, made his dwelling among us. Where are you at today? What are you walking through today? I just felt like in this season, this needs to be a season of invitation in our church. That we constantly are inviting God into whatever we're walking through. Some of you are in seasons where you feel dry spiritually. You just say, God, I, I need a fresh touch from you. I, I, need, I need you in a new way. Some of you are walking through hard things and it's really easy to just try and say, God, I, I'm, I'm not gonna go there right now. No, would you invite him into that? He wants to be present with you. And for some of you, you've been in rebellion to him. And you feel like you don't deserve to respond to him. He's saying, no, would you come? Would you allow me? I, I became flesh. I went to a cross so that I could have intimacy with you, that you might know me, that you would have revelation of who I am. I'm going to pray over us here in a moment. I'm going to invite the team out. And they're going to be singing a song. And, I, I, and in the busyness of Christmas season, I know it's really easy. You just kind of go, 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 go. They're going to sing this song. And the lyrics of this song are just so powerful. I think it'll just remind us of what Christ has done for us. But in a moment in the middle, it's going to have an opportunity for you to respond. And I just pray over the next six, seven minutes that we have a moment of response to Jesus in our hearts, in our spirits, if you need a f refreshing, I just pray that the Spirit of God would just begin to breathe over you right now. Just breathe His Spirit over you. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for who you are, God. We always come back to this. Everything else in life shifts. Everything else in life changes. 
God, there's nothing that is the same except you. You are the constant. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever, God. And we thank you for that reality. We thank you that your character is sure and true and a foundation in our lives. And Lord, I pray we be reminded of that. When we face challenges, God, we be reminded of who you are, that we would plant ourselves in Christ. We would plant ourselves in who you are. Would you do that even in our hearts this morning? Over the next few moments, Lord, I pray that your spirit would just breathe. God, that you would speak to us, Lord. We pray that in the name of Jesus. Would you respond for a moment, Lord?